Cinema Jaw is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and this week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we get a rescue. Not just a rescue me, Ryan, but a full-on rescue as we do our top five favorite rescue movies, scenes in movie history. This is perfect. Perfect timing. I think we could all use a little bit of rescue right now. I agree. Every once in a while, a rescue feels really good. It does. It's a, it's a wonderful escapism movie genre. It is. And there's small rescues within movies that we can highlight. There's also movies that are, the whole movie's a, a rescue. Mm-hmm. It's a versatile topic, Ryan. And to help us with this topic is a great guest. That's right. We got Clint Worthington from The Spool a longtime friend of the show. Can't wait to talk to Clint yet again. We're doing rescues because we have an interesting film we're reviewing this week that has a big rescue in it. That's right. Extraction, out on Netflix now, starring Chris Hemsworth. Can't wait to talk about it, actually. Because of Extraction. Starts with the letter E, as you noticed. I thought this is a good time to play E movie trivia. Think of films that start with the letter E. EGAD. Matt, believe it or not, I know it seems time is moving very slow in quarantine time. We have now hit the fifth month of the year, the month of May. And that, of course, means we have to have a a new theme, a new person to celebrate. That's right. Why not pick uh, a comedian this time, Ryan? Somebody known for the lighter fare. We looked around, and it's tough, I'll be honest with you, Jawheads, to determine exactly what's coming out every uh, month because things are changing so much. But we looked, and this particular person has two projects due out this month. For the month of May, Cinema Jaw is going to be celebrating Steve Carell. I love this. I love this. He's got so much range. He's, he's done villains. He's done heroes. He's done comedy. He's done drama. Steve Carell has had an amazing career. I cannot wait to go over it. I agree. He has a Netflix show called uh, Space Force that is supposed to be out at the end of the month. Also scheduled, still on the schedule for the end of the month is Irresistible, which is a film he's starring in and Jon Stewart is directing. So Hmm. it was one that uh, everybody was looking forward to. It comes out at the end of May. We'll see if they do the video on demand or if it gets pushed back. We're, We're still not sure at this time, but we are celebrating Steve Carell for the month of May. Let's start with a Steve Carell fact. All right, Ryan, how about this? Steve Carell was cast to play Harvey Milk in a biopic, The Mayor of Castro Street. And no, that wasn't a working title for the Sean Penn starring movie Milk. This was a completely different film with the same premise. So unfortunately for Carell, Penn's version came out first and his got scrapped. Wow. You think he could have pulled off Harvey Milk? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, Sean Penn, obviously, is no slouch, right? He's, he's one of the greatest uh, living actors currently working. But I would say that so is Steve Carell. And he is... Oh. You disagree? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's one of the greatest. No, I think he's the fine actor. But I don't know if he's one of the greatest. 
I'd say he's up there, man. He was voted the funniest man uh, alive at one point. Uh, I forget who exactly gave him that accolade. Maybe we can throw that in the jaw box. Carell does have that range, and, and he's also sort of got the build and the look to play a Harvey Milk, perhaps even more convincingly than Sean Penn, who had to sort of transform to become Milk. Hmm. Well, I, I'm so enamored with Sean Penn's performance that I, I just can't see it because I'm thinking of Sean Penn playing Harvey Milk that I don't see Steve Carell pointed off he did the fox catcher role and that was pretty outside the box for him so that's true i i do think it's funny that he, he his most iconic role now at this point is an animated film you know no oh, i don't know about that i mean his most iconic role would no. probably be yeah what i mean the 40 year old virgin right i mean that's his iconic role when you think steve carell that's like his vehicle no, I would say that that put him on the map, but his most iconic role, I would say, actually is Despicable Me, Gru. I, I think of that, no way. I think of that box with him, that stupid grin on the cover art. It's it's 40-year-old virgin. No way. It, it's Despicable Me. Cinema, cinema war. war. You're going down, buddy. This is unplanned, too. I didn't think we were going to have a cinema war here, but well, let's apparently, do it. Apparently, we will, Ryan. Yeah, let's have a cinema war, damn it. Whew. Wow, this is going to be fun. So let's get this show rolling here. As you mentioned, Clint Worthington uh, now is the editor, founder. He does everything over at The Spool. Clint, welcome to Cinema Jaw. Thanks for having me back on the show, guys. It's been a good long time. And I was just mentioning before we recorded that all three being Chicago critics, and all, it's been a while since we've like shared a screening room together. I think that's what I miss uh, the most, seeing the people at the screenings, right? You know, yeah. just saying hi and what'd you think of this, all that, that little interaction you get. Yeah, it's nice. And since yes. the last time we saw you, the spool did not exist. Yeah. But now everything's about the spool. Tell us about it. Sure. Well, I mean, as you mentioned before, um, prior to seven years, I co-hosted a podcast called Alcoholywood that uh, sort of came up around the same time as you guys. We were sort of like brother-sister podcasts over in the Chicago film critic scene. And I just got to a point where just sort of seven years in, we were just starting to plateau a little bit. We were starting to like sort of we, we the the joy wasn't really in it anymore. At the same time, I was coming up as a film critic And I realized that I wanted to transition more to a full-fledged film site. And also, publicists aren't as receptive to a film website with the word alcohol in the title. So I wanted to see what I could do to sort of had a bit of a fresh start. I wanted to create a website that reflected my perspective on, on, on film and TV. And so The Spool was born, I think, February of last year. We sort of rebranded. Um, Alka Hollywood to that and we have like a staff of like more than a dozen writers we were able to get on Rotten Tomatoes I think by the time the first week of May hits we'll be on our millionth hit um, wow, which congrats. I'm excited about yeah yeah so um, I, it's, it's, it's been really really cool it's been nice to like run a site to build a brand to have people working for you who want to do it because they like working with you and uh, you like their stuff and yeah, it's just been a crazy, amazing journey. We, uh, we're, we do film TV reviews. We have one or two podcasts there. Um, I interview a bunch of people um, every week on a podcast called More of a Comment, really. Um, we end up interviewing a lot of composers. Because those are the people available, or is that a choice you've made? I think it's a combination of both. I've been a huge fan of film music since I started paying attention to film. I'm I just like, I was into music a lot when I was a kid, you know, I was in band, I was in chorus. I've paid a lot of attention 
to film and TV scoring and so much of the stuff that I grew up with had such iconic scores, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, Indiana Jones, like all kinds of John Williams stuff. I don't know. I think I I started dipping my toe into the well of like interviewing a bunch of composers that I wanted to talk to. And they were very receptive, thank God. I think that it was sort of a snowball effect of like getting a bunch of publicists who like saw that I was paying attention to composers and they would bring me new ones. So I've talked to like Paul Leonard Morgan. I just talked to last week, Michael Abels, the guy who did the music for Get Out and Us. Oh, wow. Um, because he just did the music for HBO's Bad Education. And one cool thing we started to do with our composer interviews is I've found that I usually get to talk to them when they're in their home studios. So I get them now to, um, to think of a cue and discuss a cue from the score that we're talking about. And if they're around a piano, they play a bit for me. And we talk about the process behind building that cue. And it's such a cool new thing that I just happened upon. And we're going to really start doing that in earnest um, from now on, because it was just so cool. That's pretty cool. It's an underexplored aspect of filmmaking, I think. Another podcast that you're involved in is, uh, I love the title of this one. It's called Cage vs. Travolta. Do I have it right? uh, Travolta Cage. Imagine the title Face Off, where it's like face slash off. I feel like all of my podcasts end up taking a different form. They evolve like Pokemon. And uh, this began a couple of years ago when Nathan Rabin, the, the wonderful pop culture writer who was like head writer of the AV club for like 10, 15 years, we became friends like a few years ago. And he asked me to start the official podcast for his own self-styled website, NathanRabin.com. And at first it was just Nathan Rabin's because the title of the website is Nathan Rabin's Happy Place. And so we called it Nathan Rabin's Happy Cast. And it was a fun little thing. We dipped our toe into the water of podcasting and talked about new releases and weirdo things that he was doing on a site. And then we realized that we didn't really have a direction. And um, one of our last episodes we did was on the Fanatic, the Fred Durst directed John Travolta vehicle and the Poison Rose, which were two VOD movies he came out with last year. And they were such fascinating train wrecks. And we'd always, of course, been obsessed with Nicolas Cage that Nathan came upon the idea of what if we took the premise of Face Off being the ultimate motion picture, uh, the mastery of the form, and took a look at John Travolta and Nicolas Cage as two very unique actors in, sort of in cinema and, tr- and tracked their filmography in chronological order. So every episode, we bring on a guest and we talk about one Travolta film and one Cage film, and we're going in order. So we started in their earliest roles. I think right now we're about like the mid to late 80s. So during this uh, quarantine time, uh, what, what have you guys been concentrating on at the spool as far as uh, review, reviews go? Video on demand stuff, uh, stuff that's coming out on the, the streamers, that kind of stuff? Yeah, we've been focusing. I think IFC and Shudder have been really, really good about making sure they have new, interesting indie releases every week or so. Outside of the spool, I also am a senior writer for Consequence of Sound. And in the wake of coronavirus, my friend Scout Tafoya, who does the who does wonderful video essays for RogerEbert.com, uh, a brilliant New York-based critic, and I have started a live stream show that goes up every Thursday afternoon um, on Consequence of Sound's Twitch channel called Covideodrome, where we go through those VOD releases in depth. So like I literally just recorded one Earlier today, when we were recording this on a Thursday night, we talked about Bull, the Rob Morgan bull riding drama. And then we also, we've been actually been very lucky to get directors. We talked to the director of Blood Quantum. Uh, For the listeners that want to get over to the spool, uh, read reviews, television recaps, all that good stuff, uh, the website they should go to. 
Yeah, uh, you can go to thespool.net. And then if you want to find our podcasts, we have more of a comment, really, the aforementioned weekly interview podcast. Um, and then we also, I, we need to pick it back up, but uh, for a while there, our other podcast was a monthly TV podcast called Hall of Faces that I co-hosted with uh, the lovely Allison Shoemaker, who's a great TV critic um, extraordinaire at AV Club and Vulture and COS and all kinds of other places. So you can check both of those out um, on the spool. Do it. Absolutely. Do it now. <laughs> or so else. Clint will be sitting in on this entire job. He has seen Extraction and he has his top five favorite rescues in movies picked out. That brings us to the review here, Matt. And during this quarantine time, we find ourselves in, there are many things I miss. Going to the movie theater is high on the list, but we've had some small films come out on VOD and on streaming services that have helped cure that longing. However, one thing we have not had is a big action movie open up. Thor to the rescue. Chris Hemsworth teams up with Joe Russo and first-time director Sam Hargrave for Extraction. Is this what the doctor ordered, or was it a mind-numbing experience, or was it both? Matt, Clint, and I grabbed our guns and our rakes and checked this one out. This is an extraction. So who the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. <laughs> Some mythic shit, huh? It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life as of six hours ago. Extraction is not going to get many high marks when it comes to its plot and generic formula. It is as basic and predictable as it comes in that department. Chris Hemsworth plays Tyler Rake, a mercenary with nothing to lose. He's hired to retrieve Ovi, the son of a drug lord who is being held hostage in Bangladesh. That's about it for the plot, and that's all you need to know. And it's okay because the film flexes its muscle when it comes to the action scenes. Once inside Bangladesh, Tyler finds the kid. Now he must fend off hundreds of henchmen. I mean, they never stop coming. And corporate police officer, officers to escape. He kills tons of men, mostly with guns, but one he does get with a rake. Think John Wick with a machine gun. The action sequences are very well choreographed. In fact, there's one standout scene about three minutes in that is simply amazing. It starts with a car chase, and a one-take shot follows Tyler as he runs into an apartment complex where tons of hand-to-hand -hand combat is had. And of course, some more gunplay. One shocking thing was just how bloody this movie is. It is violent. If you are going to get any enjoyment from Extraction, it is from the action on screen. Being a home release, I hope people can watch it in a way that they can appreciate. All the fun of Extraction comes from the presentation, and it was one I enjoyed. Matt, were you along for the ride? Did Extraction help fill the void of the summer action movie? Yes, it did. And perhaps it's because Extraction is based on a graphic novel by both the Russos and Andy Park entitled See You, Dad. I haven't read it yet, but from what I see online... It looks like a Sin City style artwork, and I'm going to seek this one out. While I do think your assessment of predictability is fair, one scene in particular featuring an extended cameo from Stranger Things' David Harbour 
made me feel downright clairvoyant, a real saw that coming moment. While that's true, I found the character beats to be surprisingly deep, unexpected, and well-acted. Rudy Jaiswal, who plays Ovi, the human MacGuffin, nails his role and brings an unusually deep performance to it. The rest of the supporting cast should also be mentioned. Though mostly archetypes, Priyanshu Panyuli as the, sl- as the smarmy slime, Golshifta Farahani as the femme fatale for the good guys, and especially Randeep Puda as the relentless protector. Archetypes, yes, but one, I applaud the filmmakers for seeking out Bollywood actors that add a layer of authenticity and depth and are more than just cannon fodder. And two, even though archetypical, they bring some, something genuinely charismatic to the picture. Look, this ain't exactly Shakespeare here. I was pleasantly surprised to find that despite some predictable beats, I did connect emotionally to the story. There are even some sneaky wink-wink jokes and Easter eggs in here for good measure. And here's an example. Ovi and Rake are on the roofs of Dhaka, and, and, and Rake turns to him and says, do you trust me, just before throwing him over a gap, a nod to Aladdin. The violence level, yeah, that's a thing. You mentioned it, Rai, and it bears repeating. This movie has a vicious body count and features death by explosion, severe eye damage, stabbing, beating, strangulations, dozens of double taps, rocket launchers, and even vehicular assault with a truck. So if that bothers you, be warned. But I never found any of it to cross any lines for me. It's a modern action flick, and I rather enjoyed it. Perfect escapism for this moment in time. Clint, Ryan, what do you guys think? Was this just dumb action, or was there a chocolatey center of heart to this Tootsie Pop? Yeah, I think I generally liked it well enough, but I think I might be a little bit more negative than uh, than you two. Um, it's very clear that they're going for that kind of John Wick model that this sure. that, that film pioneered, where you're putting Sam Hargrave, who is a stunt coordinator turned filmmaker, where you give him reins to a pick. It's going to basically be a, a glorified stunt show, where you're going to put an action star who's willing to get it down and dirty and give him all kinds of complicated choreography. Um, but I think what sets the John Wick films apart from Extraction which, and where I feel like it was probably a little bit lacking was um, the choreography in John Wick is, is sort of very balletic and, and elegant. Whereas um, there's a lot of Extraction that feels like kind of a dumbed down Call of Duty level. I think, you know, for as much as I love, I, I think the action is, is competently done. I think Hemsworth throws himself into the role. I'm so glad he gets to be in his native Australian accent. I feel like that puts him at ease. There were moments where I couldn't get over just the inherent imagery of like, oh, here's, we're going to like shoot a whole bunch of brown people and, you know, and just sort of do that. So I think there was like a moment of that where I just couldn't really like completely disappear into it. That would have been worse for me were it not for the fact that, that the cast was mostly brown people, with really the only exception being Hemsworth. And I guess uh, uh, the guy from Stranger Things as well. Yeah, and I mean, that, that stuff works well. And I, and I completely agree with you that I'm so glad that this is, at the very least, a showcase for American audiences who wouldn't normally seek out something that's Bollywood to see a bunch of actors from Bangladesh and India who are huge stars in their homeland, but, um, you know, get to at least play around with a Western audience and like expose themselves to another sort of hemisphere, especially, you know, in a week where we lost Irfan Khan. Um, I think it's very important to recognize the gulf between Hollywood and Bollywood and um, seeing opportunities to see what actors on the other side of the planet are doing. So Matt, you, you had mentioned that you had had this, I see you moment when uh, what's the gentleman's name, David Harbour, 
was on screen. But I, I think oh, yeah. that also that also is apparent in another major plot point, and that's the older kid who joins the uh, drug lord's gang. There's that like initiation sequence on the roof. He ends up, you know, almost about to maybe get tossed off the roof, but instead uh, ends up being part of the, the gang. And, it, and right away, you know, this is going to come up at the very end. So there were moments like that, that I can't say that it was much deeper than just a really good choreographed action movie. And, and I agree with Clint that Hemsworth gets down and dirty with it. I give all the appreciation for uh, Sam Hargrave. I mean, the way he filmed it, getting his hands dirty, getting the shots. I appreciate all that. But I, I don't go any further story-wise that this is any deeper. Well, like I can I can see where you're going with it because they do have that kind of you know wounded down on his luck guy who has a dark past and has regrets in in his life that uh, you know Ovi sort of becomes this very much this uh, this surrogate son and sort of a ma- a means to address past mistakes but that that felt kind of tropey to me and I wanted to see more of them I guess sort of elevating that trope. I'm not trying to proclaim that this is genius or that they have elevated any tropes which they do use right. a plenty. However, like that acting moment between um, Hemsworth and, and the kid in the bedroom where they're discussing those past regrets came across as genuine. And dude, even though I was expecting it, I bought it. I was in. I was like, oh, man. And maybe it's just because those two were just really doing a great job acting. Uh, I, 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 I think I the performances like are, yeah, I, there, there, are, there are dialogue moments where it's like, Tyler, my name's Reich, okay? And he's like, no, that's not what I'm going to ask. I was going to ask. Why are you so brave? And I'm like, oh, come on, man. Um, I found it, those I moments found it I f- fine. Yeah, no, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. I just, I think that those moments were a little bit too hokey for me. Hmm? Talked about the presentation of the movie because it is sort of a big action movie. I cringe when I hear that people are watching, you know, movies on their, their phones sometimes with the, the Netflix. I, I hope it comes off as somewhat of a big action movie to, to most people. I, I know I enjoyed it uh, sound-wise and visual-wise. Yeah, definitely. If you're going to watch this on your phone, at least watch it with headphones, with some good headphones, because the sound design is pretty solid. That's how I watched it. In, in full honesty, I watched it on my phone. I got a 4K display on my phone, and it's the, like one of the biggest phones you can buy. It was fine. I did have really nice headphones, and uh, I found the presentation to be very, very nice. Those colors, oh my God, they, they sort of use this orange color filter in the beginning. I, I thought it was really well filmed. Mm. I think the issue for me is most of all the pacing. I think if maybe they had gotten this down to like a tight 90, my issues would have been abated. But uh, this thing, like with credits, which I think the credits are like 15 minutes long, it's a whole two hours. And I think, um, you know, not, I think the, the argument can be a little bit overused, but I think there is a, a case for like a good tight action film that can sort of get in and out and sort of do what it needs to do. Uh, Matt, you got a movie poster quote for us? I do. Extract yourself from quarantine and escape DACA with Chris Hemsworth. It's Hemsworth it. <laughs> I was going to say, I've, I've clocked pretty early that extraction is short for extra action. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, I, went with, I went with see Thor beat up kids. <laughs> I think that sells. You know, you see yeah. that on a poster. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You want to see a kid thrown off a building? Sure. Let's go for it. I mean, when he does have that fight where he's just literally tossing like underage kids around like they're ragdolls. <laughs> That's pretty fun. That was all right. Let's go. We're on a four jaw scale. How many jaws, Matt K? Me, I'm giving this three. 
for what it is, it is done extremely well. And that is a predictable action movie with its three jaws worth of that. I'm right with you, to be honest. I, I gave it three jaws as well. What was looking for this kind of movie right now? Escapism, heavy on the action. We haven't seen it in a while. I had fun with it. Clint, where do you sit? I'd probably give it two jaws. I think it was a good, like solid bare bones, like like nuts and bolts kind of action movie. But um, I think in terms of what I'm expecting out of it, I think it could have been trimmed. And I think, uh, yeah, it, feel, it felt weird timing wise, I guess for me. Obviously the main plot point of extraction is the extraction, the rescue, Matt K. We decided to focus our top five this week on our favorite movie rescues. We left it open to interpretation. These can be very quick rescues. These can be rescue missions. Clint, you're our guest. You're getting a start at this week. What do you got sitting at number five, my friend? I poured over my lists of favorite rescues and um, I did have like one quick honorable mention, which is the rescue mission from Jurassic Park to get the kids. Um, I thought that was sort of a fun mission, but um, I think for my number five pick, I'm going to actually have to go with Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, one of the greatest historical rescues of, uh, of a soldiers trapped behind enemy lines and the sort of civilian fleet that comes to bail them out. I mean, you know, we have our rescues that are individual scenes in movies, but I love movie long rescues where the entire point is to, to instill hope in, in, um, you know, in a, in a dark situation and um, yeah, it's just a, a phenomenal like technical achievement. And, um, you know, it doesn't really feel as much like a rescue at first because everything is so sort of still and there's Nolan's formalism in there. By the end, you get that sort of beating heart of, uh, of that civilian fleet coming to save everybody. And uh, oh. yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite movies of that year. And I just, you know, it, it still sticks in my mind. So yeah. I, I would I'm right with you. I'm right with you, Clint. I love this pick. I love this movie. I, I know Matt isn't nearly a, uh, that big of a fan of Dunkirk and shame on him. Oh, shame on me. Hell no. And, and Clint, you're right. I love the heart and the, the hope and the feel when you see all those civilian boats coming over. It was one of the, the moments of the year that year when, when that happened. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the first time they did that in Independence Day. That was really great. <laughs> Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Are you done with Dunkirk? Oh, I was done with it like two hours after uh, the, the movie started. Um, <laughs> wow, tough crowd. Matt, what do you uh, got at five? Sorry, Clint. It's, it's, I know I'm in the minority there. All right, at number five, boy, I don't think you could go any farther away from your pick there, Clint. I'm going all the way back to 1986, a movie starring the amazing Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin in his last film appearance. One of the, wow. one of the best tough guys from the eighties. Talk about a, a movie long rescue Delta force. <laughs> and going back to the Canon Canon. I love it. Oh man. I love me some cheesy eighties action, especially if Chuck Norris is in it guys. And mm-hmm. there's one scene in particular. Have you guys seen Delta force? I, I watched it forever ago, probably when I was a kid. I haven't yeah. really watched it as an adult. I grew it's been up a long time. Right. I grew up in the video store and for some reason this this uh art the box art really captivated me and the movie did not let me down. And there's this scene where they're on the runway and the plane's t- trying to take off and there's two jeeps worth of terrorists attacking the plane as it's trying to get up to speed. And Chuck Norris comes up on a motorcycle that has machine guns on the front and he takes out the first Jeep, and then it's got rockets that shoot backwards and he takes out the second one and they throw him a rope and he climbs into the plane. <laughs> Beautiful. They don't make him like they used to. They don't. Okay, my number five is, is a little bit of a fun pick also. The, the rest of them are much more serious, but my number five 
was a movie, speaking of 80s action, 1985. And uh, one of my favorite Arnold films, Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger. Wow. Nice. And nice. at the time when I saw this movie, everybody my age was in love with Alyssa Milano. And at the time, it was, a, it was such a treat that she was starring in a movie. The movie I'm speaking of is Commando. And if you'll recall here, the, the plot's pretty simple, right? The, they, they basically kidnap Arnold's daughter, who's Alyssa Milano. And, and they do this so that he will carry out an assassination uh, mission. And, and he acts like he's getting on the plane. But at the very last minute, he, he gets off the plane. And now he basically has... 11 minutes until the, uh, 11 hours, I should say, until that plane lands and they realize that he's not on the plane anymore. And at that point, he goes through and kills uh, all these people that are, are, are part of this uh, gang and eventually gets his daughter back, the rescue being that he gets Alyssa Milano back. And it was wonderful. It has some of the, the cheesiest one liners in, in movie history. And that's why we love it so much. Such I love a, that you I love that you came to Commando through Alyssa Milano. I think oh. that's I love that that was your in. You're like, man, it's like me being like, you know what? I'm a huge Ray Don Chong fan. I can't <laughs> wait to see Commando. Yeah. No, I, I remember everybody saying, oh, Alyssa Milano's in this movie. Like, oh my God, I got to see it. <laughs> uh, that's great. See, what if the roles were reversed and Alyssa Milano was the commando? I'm <laughs> that down. Would be, that would be good. Yeah. It's not too late, Clint. I mean, I think we have a pitch here. Yeah, we should uh, contact our agent. Indeed. Go Into our fours we go. What do we got sitting there, Clint? Yeah, for my number four, I think I'm going to go with another historical reenactment of a real life event in sort of another movie length Oscar-friendly mission, and that is Ben Affleck's Argo. Um, nice. the, yeah, the, the real-life tale of, of, I think, a CIA agent who goes to Iran, I think, has to smuggle out a group of American embassy workers and diplomats by forging this fake sci-fi movie. And uh, yeah, it's just a great sort of crackerjack heist plot. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of rescues are just like heists where the money is a person. And, you know, I think oh, that's the, all the... Yeah, all the elements are, are there and that thrilling conclusion where they, you know, they have to get through the airport and they have to get to the plane on time and the Jeeps are going right after them as the plane is taking <laughs> off. It's, it's real, real nail-biting stuff. And yeah, you can sort of have issues with it after the fact. At the end of the day, it can become somewhat of a boilerplate, Oscar-y sort of movie. But I think, um, I think the nuts and bolts of it work together really well. And uh, yeah, I still really, really dig it. I agree. I'm a fan of that one. I, I am too. I love Argo. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not one of the haters. Speaking of Ben Affleck, how about some Matt Damon for you? And my number four is The Martian. Oh, this is too yeah. low, Matt K. Too low. Is it? Is it too <laughs> low, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sensing that we might be talking about The Martian again later on this list. So I'll keep it really brief. What a harebrained scheme and so dangerous to go back to Mars. And, and one of my favorite little tidbits was how they hid the telemetry for getting the rocket ship to turn around and get back to Mars inside of a JPEG of somebody's family so that the government didn't intercept that message. That was just a little stroke of uh, fun storytelling. There were a lot of fun little moments like that in, in The Martian. It right, and there's, it's, it's a wonderful case of a person sort of having to rescue themselves too, but you sure. also get the tale of the people who are also working just as hard as he is. Like it's this great tale of like problem solving. Um, yeah, so I agree. It didn't end up making my list, but that was just because I completely forgot about it, but it totally deserves to be on the list. Um, for my number four, sort of a strange type of rescue movie. Most people probably don't think of it 
as a rescue movie as much as just a thriller. But in 2013, Denny Villeneuve gave us Prisoners, yeah. Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Dano. Also, Viola Davis is in there and Melissa Leo. And this is where two daughters uh, end up getting kidnapped. And the police can't seem to find them. Uh, the whole case uh, seems like it, it, it might be a, a cold trail. And then if they do figure out who it is, they can't find the kids actually. But the parents don't give up, and especially Hugh Jackman. And he is determined to find the kids and eventually does get onto the case that his kids, his daughter is still alive. Interesting. It goes to some terrifying lengths to do it. It sure yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. It it really is pretty uh, crazy movie. An amazing cast, well acted, and and just different than the kind of movie and sort of thriller that we're used to seeing. It's a smart movie. And it starts uh, Villeneuve in with his uh, collaboration with the one and only Roger Deakins, eventually getting that man the Oscar he deserves. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll do my number three pick. Speaking of movies that you wouldn't normally think of as sort of a rescue movie, we were talking before about like ball-busting action movies with a, an orange hue. And I think we always and forever have to talk about Mad Max Fury Road, which oh. is technically a rescue film in that, you know, Charlize Theron's Imperator Furiosa is rescuing the five wives from the uh, the tyranny of a Morton Joe and in so doing ends up saving an entire people. In terms of that sort of literal rescue mission, it's a very pulse-pounding adventure. But there is sort of a more subtextual rescue happening of Max's humanity too, where, you know, this is the man who they describe as a raging feral and he just sort of learns over the course of this apocalyptic adventure to regain a sense of his humanity, regain a sense of respect for Furiosa, and uh, sort of make a mark on the world that he wouldn't normally do, even if he doesn't totally accept it. Oh, man, I love Mad Max. I, I think it might be one of the best films of the last 20 years, easily. It's a perfect motion picture, I argue. <clears throat> it, it's amazing how many times it pops up on top five lists on this podcast. It's a testament to how great the movie is. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that one. All right, swings it to me at number three. I'm going to read you the cast, fellas. Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, Faye Dunaway, Fred Astaire, Robert Vaughn, Robert Wagner, Dabney Coleman, O.J. Simpson, The Towering Inferno, 1974. I don't know why I was kind of in a like grindhousey kind of mood when I made this list. Technically not a grindhouse picture, right? It's a disaster movie. A lot of rescues going on throughout the entire run of this movie. It's an absolute classic. One of the first, can you call this a horror movie, thriller? But one of the first movies skewed in that direction that I saw as a kid. It stayed with me. It stays with me to this day. I like that movie. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but it's one of those that had an impression on me. My number three pick actually has rescue in the title. Oh, uh, is it rescuers down under? <laughs> literally meant to say no, no, it's not. Uh, this one is directed by Werner Herzog. It came out in 2006. It stars Christian Bale and Actually, a fantastic performance by Steve Zahn also in this movie. It is Rescue Dawn, tells the true story of a U.S. pilot who shot down, and Christian Bale plays this pilot. This is 1966 Laos. He's taken uh, to a camp where he meets other American prisoners, all suffering from malnutrition. That's a key point because uh, Christian Bale, who at this, at this time when he shot down, is rather healthy, and he is 
telling the prisoners, hey, here's our escape plan. This is what we're going to do. And I'm sure there's people out there looking for us. But they're in no shape uh, to actually get out of the camp and then have to survive the jungle. Unbelievable story of survival that they do get out of the camp, fight the jungle, all the elements that they have to go through to eventually get rescued. It's a hell of a journey and a true story. And actually, Werner Herzog made a documentary on the subject back in the 70s and then made this drama. Uh, he adapted his own documentary, which is pretty interesting. But Rescue Dawn, do check it out if you haven't seen it. I will say my one quibble with that movie is that no one in the movie actually named Don, so the title seems a little misleading. <laughs> I like it. What, what do you got at two there, Clint? Uh, That's a good question. I feel like my one and my two are pretty close together. They're both, um, both great sci-fi action-adventure movies that uh, have great rescue sequences in the middle of them. So I actually think for my number two, I will go with Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, the rescue of Princess Leia from the Death mm. Star, because it's, it's fast-paced, it's exciting. It's something that uses all of the character dynamics we know, um, all these characters who are like, so, who've been somewhat separated. Like we've followed the princess all movie, but we don't know how she interacts with our with our space cowboy and his farm boy, uh, you know, uh, passenger, seeing them go from one disaster to another over the course of this like whole rescue sequence that ends up playing so well paced and so wonderfully fast and, uh, and exciting. It's, it's a real delight to see. And I think, I think so much of what we can attribute to the personality of Star Wars when it does have a personality can be attributed to like the formula that, that, whole Death Star sequence gave. Like everyone's trying to replicate the fun of that. Yeah. hundred percent. I've always said, uh, we've even done our, our top five favorite Star Wars moments. And that's my number one moment. That energy that when those three finally get together and they get her out of the cell is the best highlight of Star Wars, the, the energy that they created. And ever, ever since then, they're just trying to replicate that. I won't argue that guys. That's a, a good observation. For sure. All right. You know, I was going to call an audible and, and switch this out with something, one of my honorables, but I'm going to stick with it. God damn it. I got a John Carpenter movie at number two, and I think we all could probably guess which one. Escape from New York. Well, I was going to say Starman. <laughs> Is there a rescue, though, in Starman? So no. Oh, I was just trying to think of the most unlikely John Carpenter movie. Ghosts of Mars. There you go. This one, the whole thing is about rescuing the president of the United States who has been shot down while in Air Force One over Manhattan, which has actually become a maximum security prison. And they send Snake Plissken in to rescue him and get him out. Hence the title, Escape from New York. And anybody listening to the show is, should be intimately familiar with this film. They should know what you're talking about when you say Duke of New York, a number one. <laughs> there you go. My number two pick is a Tom Hanks film. He's been involved in, in quite a few rescues, but uh, the one that I wanted to highlight here was in 2013, Captain Phillips, in which he plays the true life Captain Phillips. His crew was taken over by Somalian pirates. And I, I love the fact that the, the Navy SEALs, they finally eventually come to the rescue of this ship. And they, they can't necessarily just take out one pirate at a time because they, they would have some casualties on their end. So they, they wait for that perfect time when they're all in the crosshairs at one time. It's quite the mission. And to know how skilled these guys are on rocking boats, waves moving, and, and still to be able to fire a gun from a distance and hit your target. The acting there at the end of Captain Phillips is, is sometimes Hanks' best. To date, 
I agree. Yeah, I agree too. Like it's a real crackerjack thriller. I mean, it's from Paul Greengrass who did all the Bourne sequels and stuff like that. So he has a real command of tension. That's a real good pick. Into our number ones. What do you got, Clint? All right. From one sci-fi adventure rescue sequence to another, I got, I have to give it to James Cameron's Aliens. That that final act of Aliens where she goes back for Newt. Also my number one. For a reason, right? Because it's so incredibly good because it, it fulfills, I mean, again, it, the best rescue sequences are ones that don't just um, work on their own as a microcosm of like action and thriller filmmaking. They're ones that feel like culminations of character journeys, right? Where this is Ripley, a broken person, finally sort of accepting her destiny and finding something to fight for and live for. And that's Newt um, rediscovering her sort of motherhood. I even just love like the bits even before the rescue starts where Hicks is like the ultimate supportive dude where she's screaming that Newt's alive and she's like, I believe you, but we have to go. All those little moments, the flamethrower connected to the machine gun, get away from her, you uh, you know, and like, yeah, the beautiful showdown with the queen. It's a great, great sequence from start to finish. Pure uh, Kino cinema. Yeah, I think what you were talking about earlier with the magic we felt in Star Wars when all three of those actors got together is the same magic that was captured in Aliens during that sequence for so many action adventure sci fi slash horror movies that would come later, and none of them would ever get that. There was something about just every little piece adding up to more than the sum of its parts that truly makes that some amazing movie magic. One of the best sequences of all time. When Bishop comes back in that dropship, yeah, is just, oh, the blood rushes through you. <laughs> Such a great film. Such a great film. Um, my number one, truth be told, was The Martian. There wow. Is, yeah, but there, there's one that I wanted to highlight that I had as an honorable mention, so I am going to mention it right now, and that's Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, of it's course. It's a movie. Uh, like Clint was talking about, where the entire film is the rescue mission. They have to go in, uh, risk the lives of five soldiers to rescue one. The question is there and presented in the film, is it worth it? And it is. And you get this, a war movie that changed the scope of war movies at the time. Everything since then, sort of, uh, when, when we're talking war movies, seems to have come from that family tree of Saving Private Ryan, the way it looked. Uh, the great graininess of it, everything, the close-ups that Spielberg was able to use. Saving Private Ryan needs to be mentioned, so I'll sub that one in as a worthy number one. It's not like I just whipped this out of, you know, it's it's not worthy of the number one spot. It is. Right. It is a movie that literally changed the way we look at war cinema, so I think it's worth a discussion for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The, the only- the only other honorable I was going to mention, I wanted to squeeze in there, was uh, Indiana Jones. A lot of great rescues throughout the whole series, but the one I wanted to highlight was when Short Round actually rescues Indy because he's in that trance. And I watched the sequence earlier today. He he He's just awesome. He climbs up that tall ladder. All the kids start cheering for him. The bad guy's chasing after him. He moves the ladder and jumps on a rope and climbs up. And then he finally has to burn Indy with the torch to get him out of that trance. I love that whole sequence. I do too. It's an amazing sequence in a video game as well. Yeah, I love that all of our honorable mentions are Spielberg. I am not going to stray from that formula, gentlemen. My uh, honorable mention is Schindler's List. It didn't quite fit into my grindhousey sort of sci-fi theme I had going on my list, but it bears mentioning an amazing rescue, true, true story. 
rescue. Absolutely. Uh, if we missed your favorite rescue in movie and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can always email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a cinema war looking at Steve Carell's most iconic movie role, plus some e-movie trivia. Stick with us. Hey, Jawheads, it's Matt Kay here in the break with a Steve Carell clip for you. This one comes from one of his earliest roles against the great Jim Carrey as the rival Evan Baxter in Bruce Almighty when Jim Carrey's character finally gets his revenge on his nemesis and uses his godlike powers to cause him to speak gibberish. Welcome to Eyewitness News at 6 with Susan Ortega, Evan Baxter, Fred Donahue, Sports, Dallas Coleman, Weather, and now, Buffalo's number one news team. Good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News at 6. I'm Susan Ortega. And I'm Evan Baxter, and here's what's making news. A potential scandal with the Buffalo PD surfaced today when the mayor... <coughs> what the mayor... What the mayor... Somebody give him some water, please. <coughs> yeah, it looks like my new co-anchor may need a glass of water. <laughs> oh, there we go. Sorry about that. In other news, the Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today, and my tiny little nipples went to France. What did he just say? Check the prompter. Just fine. Evan, read the copy, please. The copy's good. Just read it. The White House Reception Committee greeted the prime rib roast minister, and I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. <laughs> I like a do the cha-cha. I'm sorry, we seem to be having some technical difficulties. In other news... <laughs> My apologies. And we are back on the Majaw hanging out with Clint Worthington. Again, if you want to check out his reviews, his podcasts, please go to thespool.net. Uh, Matt, before we get to Cinema War and before we get to trivia, we threw one item into the jaw box, and that was way back at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned who named Steve Carell the funniest person alive. What's your pleasure, Mr. Cotton? The box. We got a box! Oh, what's in the box? He was called America's Funniest Man by Life Magazine. Okay. I, I don't even know if he's America's funniest man. 
Well, who would, I mean, yes. Okay. He's, he's up there though, right? I mean, who would you put on that pedestal? Uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Maybe, uh, you know what, but Jerry Seinfeld was the funniest man in the, like in the nineties, maybe. Right. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Sure. He could also take that position. Uh, certainly for a time, no doubt. Interesting. Hmm. It is an interesting thing. I don't, I don't think that belongs to just one person, but Steve Carell is definitely one hell of a funny guy. He is. He is indeed. Either way, Matt, you're going down here. It brings us to a segment called Cinema War. And Cinema War works like this. Me and Matt, we're fighting on a topic. Our guest this week, Clint Worthington, gets to play judge, jury, and executioner and tell the jawheads at home who he thinks won the Cinema War. We're celebrating Steve Carell this month, all month long, all May, we're celebrating Steve Carell. And I said at the top of the show, it's funny to think that now his most iconic movie character is Gru from Despicable Me. And <laughs> you said what, Matt? I said that, that uh, 40-year-old virgin is certainly his most iconic character. And there you go. That is the topic. I have Gru. You have 40-year-old virgin. Let's get this cinema war started. I hope you got a big trunk, Rye, because I'm about to put my bike in it. The 40-year-old virgin gave us Steve Carell for the big screen and was a huge move for both Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen, and Judd Apatow to boot, not to mention Catherine Keener. Despicable Me is an unfortunate kid series. No, unfortunate. This war comes down to this. What is cooler, getting your hairy chest waxed or stealing the moon. Obviously, stealing the moon. I'm a fan of the 40-year-old version, but Gru is on a whole nother level, Matt K. Kelly Clarkson. Ever look at the glut of Despicable Me toys at Target? I have, Ryan. And the lunchboxes and bath towels and breakfast cereal. Know what's missing on all of them? Steve Carell. Gru was not the breakout character of the series. It was the Minions. 40-year-old version has a lot going for it other than Steve Carell. I mean, you mentioned it, Matt. It has the entire Judd Apatow army involved. Despicable Me is a film franchise uh, that is just liked by his, uh, adults as much as it is children. And that's mainly because of Steve Carell's performances grew. That one character makes the movie. I disagree, Ryan. And I would even put his Donald Rumsfeld in Vice or Little Miss Sunshine over Despicable Me in terms of pure Carell. But let's talk about that crappy Slavic accent too. The character is pretty trite, and although it spawned a mass of sequels, I think that points more to it being a vapid plastic generator than an iconic performance. 40-Year-Old Virgin is a classic comedy, and its timeless premise will stand the test of time, Ryan. It's amazing, though, that Despicable Me franchise has grossed, this is just the films, $3.7 billion. It's actually the 15th highest grossing film franchise of all time. Gru can buy the moon with that kind of money. Yes, 40-year-old version put Corral on the map, but Gru is his most iconic film character to date. We are buttonheads here on Cinemore. We throw it to our guest, our jury. Clint, what did you think of this cinema? Well, you two make very impassioned arguments uh, for either the sort of the indie Apatow comedy appeal of Steve Carell or his new sort of shiny commercial movie star face. I have to say the point that really swung it over for me because it was something that I immediately thought of as soon as the two films were compared is 
the Despicable Me franchise is the Minions franchise first, and Gru is absolutely second fiddle. And in so doing, I have to give it, I have to give it to Matt and oh. uh, and Forty Year Old Virgin. Sorry, Rye, you just didn't have it in the cards this time. Yeah, it's a tough one to fight, uh, Matt. This earns you twenty seconds of jaw time to rent and rave. What do you got, buddy? I- I'll turn it over to you guys. I want to ask a quick question. Did you see the news about the whole kerfuffle with Universal and the Trolls movie and the CEO saying stuff about? Sure. Oh so, yeah. Uh, real quick, what are your thoughts on that? Like forty seconds worth. I don't know if I can get it done in, in if each of us got 20 seconds. I mean, it's, it's a, a major topic. Uh, this entire situation that we find ourselves in and how we come out of it as a movie-going public, as a group that uh, supports cinema, is going to be very interesting. I, and have said it numerous, numerous times, I'm all for the movie-going experience. So my heart's with the movie theaters, and I'll be back there uh, in no time. I, for one, think it's really, really rich of AMC to be throwing stones right now. And uh, I, I think it's really weird to, for them to bite the hand that feeds them when, what were they supposed to do with trolls? Like, just not release it? There was no other option. Yeah, I mean, my, my two cents worth, I, I said famously on the show when we first began that in 10 years there would be no more movie theaters. And, and I've come full circle on that. And I love the movie theaters as well. But I think it's going to change, and this may accelerate that change. We're going to have the movie theater experience as more of an artisan, coffee shop, vinyl record shop type experience for the true fans. And the masses are going to have access to even more film than before on the streaming services. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Well, like I said, this is a huge can of worms to open up. Because I then agree, how, I agree. How are they going to yeah. make enough money if it's just going to the streaming services is the other question. Are, are, they, are the studios then going to say, all right, yeah, we, we got a billion dollar movie on our hands, but well, we'll just give it to the streaming service. There's a lot to unpack here. There, there is. Um, you know what? Great theaters like the, the, movie, uh, the music box have survived without the mainstream. Uh, so we'll see. I guess time will tell. It's trivia time, Matt. Let's play that music. Oh, I love that too, Matt. Hey. All right. We mentioned, we, we reviewed Extraction. We are playing E! Movie Trivia. Think of movies with E in the title. Clint, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt K go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any questions, there is one rescue. How appropriate. One rescue. Rescue me, Ryan. All right, cool. I will be the gentleman and defer to you, Matt. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Matt, question one over to you. In 2005, I don't know why, but the character Electra had her own movie. Yeah. Who played Electra? Um, that was Jennifer Garner. That is correct, yes. One to nothing, Matt K. Question two over to Clint. Clint, name the David Lynch movie that has to do with a baby being born as a bizarre lizard-like creature. Oh, that would be Eraserhead, right? Absolutely. Absolutely correct. One-to-one. The softballs are out. Question three over to Matt K. Matt, Matthew McConaughey has starred in only one movie that was directed by Ron Howard. It came out in 1999. Name the movie. McConaughey, Ron Howard, 99, huh? Was it one of the space ones? Was he in Apollo? Um, was that Apollo 12, Apollo 13, Apollo 11? One of those. That is incorrect. Remember, yeah. we're playing E movie trivia. 
So, Epalo, I said. Epalo. <laughs> Epalo 13. Clint, you got a chance for a steal. Matthew Ooh. McConaughey in a Ron Howard directed film. A Ron Howard directed film in 99, you said. Mm-hmm. Ooh, man. It starts Is it, with an E. Let's say eviction. I don't know. <laughs> I like the guess. Uh, we're looking for Ed TV. Ed, Ed TV. TV. I did not know that that was a Ron Howard joint. Me neither. Still, still one-to-one question four. back over to Clint. Clint, the 2010 film Easy A is a retelling of The Scarlet Letter. Name the actress who starred as the lead. Oh, speaking of ease, it was Emma Stone. Two-to-one, Clint. Question five over to Matt K. Matt, name the 2013 animated film that was based on the book The Leaf Men and the Brave Good Bugs. It had voice work by Colin Farrell, Amanda Seyfried, and Beyonce. What's that title again of the book it was based on? It was based on The Leaf Men and the Brave Good Bugs. Holy crap, what a terrible title that is. <laughs> um... Beyonce, Colin Farrell, movie starts with an E animated film 2013 entourage (laughs) incorrect clint do you remember this it's not all that long ago six years ago 2013 yeah animated movie colin farrell and beyonce and amanda seyfried oh man yeah i do not i do not have it (laughs) that's a tough one we're looking for epic, epic. I don't remember. I, I can't even bring it to mind. That's how forgettable it is. <laughs> right. It's, it's still two to one, Clint. Question six is over to him. Clint, in 1999, Catherine Zeta-Jones made a movie with Sean Entrapment. Yes. <laughs> Every boy my age knows the movie that Catherine Zeta-Jones was in that started with E and involved a scene with lasers in a cat suit. Yes, it did. Yeah, very formative experience. Although I prefer Zorro myself. Yeah, oh, yeah, the mask, the mask of Zorro. Mask of Zorro, yes. Slaps, as the kids say. Three to one, Clint. Question seven over to Matt. Name the 2008 movie that starred Shia LaBeouf and heard Julianne Moore's voice, a supercomputer that controls everyday technology. Holy crap, dude. Shia LaBeouf? Yeah. 2000 what? 2008. Uh-huh. And Julianne Moore voices a supercomputer that controls everyday technology. I don't know. Elysium. Oh, God, that's terrible. I got nothing on this one. The terrible guess. Clint, you got a chance for a steal. Any guess on this one? Oh, I don't have a guess, Rye. It is, uh, it is the cinema classic Eagle Eye. <laughs> that is correct uh, on both fronts. Uh, the answer and that it is a cinema classic. <laughs> The ball game's over at this point. Clint is one four to one. Last question is over to Clint. In okay. two thousand and one, speaking of Julianne Moore, Julianne Moore, David Duchovny, and Sean William Scott were Evolution. in a film. <laughs> yes. See, I would have known. That. Give me a- <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, I played it a good strategy by having you do it because I feel like you got the harder questions. Matt. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. This is not fair, but I will take the W. Um, it, Clint does win this one virtual handshake. Well, we're yes. not doing handshakes anymore as a society, but yes, there yeah. you go. Right, right. Um, 
How about this one? Uh, if it came down to a tie, Clint, this would have been over to you. Euro trip, hilarious or dumb? Oh, deeply dumb. We'll give him that one. <laughs> the real jawbreaker was this age of David Duchovny closest to Matt. You got a guess on age of David Duchovny. He's pushing 60. I, I will put Duchovny at 57 years old. Lock him in at 57. Clint, you got a guess? 59. Wow. He is on a roll. He's 59 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I, I happened thinking, I, to look that up last night because I'm rewatching the X-Files. <laughs> I was I was actually going to say like 60 on the nose, but either way, you had it right, man. That is um, awesome. That's weird uh, how that lined up. Brings us to the end of a great jaw. And first and foremost, we got to thank Clint Worthington of The Spool for coming back on the jaw. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me back on, man. This is always a blast. For sure. I can't wait to do it again in person, sir. It's always a pleasure. Yes, yes. Cannot wait for us to responsibly get back to some semblance of normal so I can see your faces again. Ditto. Yep. Uh, Matt, we also got to thank our sponsors. Yes, thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get great sponsors like them. If you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're at it, please click subscribe. One extra button for you helps us out tremendously. Until next week, I'm Rye the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And keep on jawing about the movies. ไอ้เราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเราเ